Hi there, this is Erin Nicole, and you're listening to the Move Happy Movement podcast. On this show, I interview people from all over the world, anyone from professional custodians all the way up to higher levels of responsibility and leadership, running nations in other countries. One day, my big bodacious dream is to actually interview the leadership in the country that I was blessed to be born in, the land of the free, the home of the brave, because of, because of the men and women that have served our country to protect our borders and allow for us to have the freedoms to make our own decisions and career paths and family dynamics and religious freedoms, protected speech, country that people dream to come in, that they pay a lot of money for their children to be educated in, the United States of America. I'm not quite there yet, haven't made those close connections for interviews yet, but a lot of supernatural things have happened since we launched the show in uh, early 2019. So I wouldn't put it past the creator if they so desire for me to interview our top-level leaders. Uh, The purpose of Move Happy, of course, is to empower you, to help empower you to find happiness from within, to guard your mind, to guard your spirit, to guard your your body against uh, the darkness in the world, to help empower you on your darkest days, to find happiness from within, and to help equip you if you have friends or family members that are struggling with their mindset with their well-being to help coach them and encourage them because we're not islands into ourselves and um, I'm a woman with diagnosed depression I was diagnosed uh, I was never told my diagnosis but I was diagnosed 14 years old and I came into my calling later in life uh, shortly after my my father had passed away Uh, my third day on the job working in a psychiatric hospital and through listening to thought leaders success leaves clues Um, I had just started getting into smartphone technologies and a mentor of mine in a direct sales organization that did not benefit at all financially from encouraging and helping support me we just were in a culture that wanted to support one another She sent me a link to a video of a pretty well-known, world-renowned coach that kind of started this whole coaching thing around the world. He's been able to coach and mentor uh, presidents of the United States. He's been able to coach and mentor uh, top-level athletes around the world. He's been doing it for over 40 years, and she sent me one of his videos because I hadn't heard of him before. Imagine that, that I didn't have smart technologies because I was a teacher before working in this psychiatric hospital when my dad passed, and I was trying to be mindful, just as most women are, uh, mindful of my money and be a good citizen and all that. It all started from working in that psych hospital, and I heard in his videos the tenets and the values and the virtues, and he kept saying, contribution. Contribution is the greatest healing agent. It's the greatest way for you to find happiness, even in the storm. So I listened. I took action because faith without action is dead. And I'm an action taker. And 
I was blessed to have a boss that encouraged me to think outside of the box. Although she was hesitant when I presented her an opportunity for me to create a program for the patients, I said, the fitness program needs upgrading. I don't want to be rude. I don't want to step on anybody's toes. I am new here, but I have been observing everything that has been made available to these patients, and you guys have been so kind and compassionate towards me. Patients have come up to me letting me know they're so sorry for my loss because word spread around the hospital that my dad had died. Um, I had shared it in one of the group therapy classes, and they started telling each other to encourage me from one human being to another, that compassion, and I wanted to give them back something, that law of reciprocity. This whole Move Happy movement started from a locked psychiatric hospital without any budget. My boss said, we don't have any money. We have $100 to split between 15 staff every month to help our patients. I was like, no problem. I already made a program when I taught at the university as a graduate teaching assistant for college students that were on a budget. I can help create a program that won't cost any money with minimal equipment. I want to help the hospital. I care about these patients, and I'm so grateful to work in one location instead of five because a couple years prior to that, I had five part-time jobs right after getting my master's degree and still couldn't pay down all my bills. Move Happy is not just about Erin Nicole. Move Happy is a movement that people have joined in because there are so many people that are hurting in the world even prior to this pandemic. And they heard the story, they could sense my authenticity of it. So sometimes on this show, I interview thought leaders. I've been interviewing people since uh, we started interviewing in late uh, 2018, but took a few months to launch the show in 2019. With my first interview with uh, my hero, my high school choir teacher, who helped bring healing to me through alternative methods in music and dance and performing arts. He created an out-of-the-box program, and at the point where I got to be in his elite program that you had to be invited to audition, you couldn't just go and audition like American Idol or America's Got Talent where everybody shows up. No, you had to be selected from the top-level leaders of the directors in the music program in the younger grades. He was intentional about his program. He wanted the best of the best. So I interviewed the first person on my show that I have known since I was nine years old and I got to work with one-on-one for three years. I got to learn from the best of the best that created a six-figure program, six-figure income business program through the community. He created ways to create funding and resources because he knew the value of performing arts and of raising the standards of excellence within a high crime community, within a low income community where parents, many parents were divorced, many children were being raised by single mothers with their fathers either non-existent, paying child support or in jail or prison, Um, lots of drug addictions and whatnot. He created something that transformed our community. 
where we were well known, not just in our local city, but we were well known around the United States of America. I got to tour around and never would have been even on a plane or left our city if it wouldn't have been for this person. And so he was our first guest on the show, and I've had him a second time earlier this year because he has so much value that there's no way we could share it all in one episode. Plus, I called it a blog the first time I was interviewing him because I didn't know what the heck I was doing when I first started it, but I was listening to thought leaders helping us to build out this brand. And sometimes in the last year or so, the, the creator of the universe has encouraged me to do my own shows where I'm not just interviewing someone else, but I'm talking on a topic that is relevant that I believe can help empower you to strengthen your mind, strengthen your resiliency, and help you to be a better citizen in the United States if you live here, and if you don't live here, to help you be a better citizen in your communities, wherever home is for you. One great thing about living in the United States of America is that we have the freedom to believe in whatever faith system we choose to believe in without persecution. And I believe in the creator of the universe. We at Move Happy and our nonprofit arm, Aaron Nicole Ministries for Veterans and First Responders, we encourage you to believe in whatever faith system works for you, whatever makes sense for you, as long as you're not harming other people in the world, um, as long as your faith system doesn't encourage you to harm yourself, we support and respect your faith system. And that's the great thing about living in the U.S. Um, and or being a U.S. citizen. You have the freedom to choose your faith. And so my faith system tells me, my creator tells me, sometimes puts this nudge in my heart to speak on topics. And I was just getting ready today. That's what happened. So just getting ready for the day. Um, had to make some phone calls and all that. And the creator said, Aaron, today I want you to speak on the value of mothers. So when I have these topics, I don't pre-plan it. I don't look up information. It's just whatever is already in my spirit, uh, whatever experiences, personal, professional experiences, and if I have any knowledge on the topic of science-related information, I believe that can help uh, make it even stronger for those that are more analytically minded, that are more scientifically based, that love facts and figures. So what I encourage you to do is if you're driving, um, obviously don't take notes while you're driving, but if you are not in a vehicle, if you, unless you're in a Tesla, <laughs> go ahead and get out a piece of paper or a journal, take down notes, uh, take what you like, leave what you don't, and hopefully you have some golden nuggets, some actionable steps that you can use yourself or you could share with a friend or family member um, about this topic. Maybe there's a mother in your neighborhood that's struggling right now, maybe a new mom that's never had children before and is being a new mom in the middle of a pandemic. That could be a scary thing. Maybe you can encourage them. Maybe you're a grandmother and you're sensing your your um, grandchild is, uh, or your, your daughter is uh, having their child for the first time, or your daughter in love. That's what my grandma called my, my mother and my uh, aunts. They weren't daughters-in-law, they were daughters-in-love, because love brought them together as a family. 
So the value of mothers, well, first of all, priceless, right? And some people might have grown up in rough families where uh, mothers were not loving and encouraging. Um, I'm blessed to be born in the family that I was born in. My mom worked real hard to be an incredible, humble parent that put us first. She wasn't perfect, nobody is, but she sacrificed a lot. My, my father and my mother decided that one person was going to stay at home with the children once after they had, uh, she worked part-time I believe when she had uh, my eldest sibling, I'm the baby. And it got a little challenging when kids get randomly sick at different times. Uh, Checkup appointments, you know, they made a decision as a, as a family unit that one of them was going to stay at home. And I don't know if you've heard, but women don't make the same amount of money as men do in the workforce. It's just reality. We're getting better at it, uh, but it's not quite there yet. So um, money helps to fund everything in the world, and you need money to raise children. It's not free. <clears throat> so they made a decision that mom was going to be the one that would stay at home and take the kids, take us to doctor's appointments. Um, and for until I was 11, um, dad was a regional sales manager. So he was gone, multi-state responsibilities <clears throat> in the grocery industry. He delivered to little mom and pop gas stations and stores in four or five states for this company. And they had a conversation at one point. Uh, I remember it was some point while I was still homeschooled or the summer break before sixth grade. That was the first year I went to public school and dad pulled me aside and said, how would you like it? dad came home every day and I was like oh, I would love that because I loved my dad I was the daddy's girl and uh, didn't get much time with him growing up to that point because he was earning money as many fathers have done in society for a long long time so the value of mothers she might have not made any money staying at home but I guarantee you, especially with the pandemic, how many people freaking out about parenting and also doing Zoom meetings. I'm getting ready, by the way. You hear some water. It's because I'm washing my makeup off my fingers so I can get to the next step in my getting ready stage. Uh, the value of mothers really in... <clears throat> society is extremely priceless um, and what I really appreciate is learning about other people's parents um, that was one cool thing about being in this great music program and getting into public school I hated being homeschooled when I was homeschooled but I'm grateful for the experience because I was as most girls are I was a social creature I desired to have friends and there were some friends that I had in the homeschool program, but for the most part, I was at home doing my studies, 
two to three hours a day. And then a couple days a week, we'd go to grandma's house and we'd volunteer. Sometimes we would go to Bartell Drugs, take people's blood pressures. We'd go to Bible studies. We'd go to, um, I got a little bit heavier around 10, 9 or 10. And so they uh, signed us up for the YMCA, so a couple days a week, I think three. We did either swimming, land games in the gym, or gymnastics. And in exchange, mom taught swimming lessons to pay for our membership because they didn't just give handouts to people. They believed if you had partial ownership in it, then you'd show up. And I'm grateful that mom taught herself how to teach swimming lessons and then taught community members, children, how to swim to prevent them from, you know, potentially drowning, having water safety education, all things like that. When I was in graduate school, my first year, they had this really cool thing. This was at Oregon State University in Corvallis. In my program, I specialized in exercise and sports psychology. My program, they believed in the peer mentorship to help keep you there because um, it's difficult for many people start education, set like uh, college education, but many people start it but don't finish it. Um, <clears throat> and then when you get to the graduate level, many people don't either don't qualify with the grades, they can't balance it with their families, or emergencies come up, so many people don't finish it. And so in order to help with that reality, um, they had a peer mentorship program. So they had, um, we shared our offices with a PhD level in the same program um, and a master's uh, level so that um, it would encourage me to see what it was like and hear and have conversations and whatnot. My office mate was from Chongqing in China and I loved her, super, super sweet human being. And she would share sometimes the stories of her upbringing and what her mother was like and her father. And they both, similar to mine, were together. At that time, my father was still alive. And she would compare our personalities, our cultural differences, if you will. She said she loved... Americans, because we are so loving. She said, you don't get that in China. Parents don't say, I love you, at least in the area that she grew up in. They're very hard, very emotionally closed off. And she didn't really know why, but that's just how it was. She was sent to a boarding school, so she was away from her parents, and that's pretty common in the higher-end society um, if they have the financial means to do so. Why not educate and allow your children to have a a level of independence to teach them how to kind of grow up, you know? Um, 
I don't think it's good. I don't think it's bad. It's different than how I grew up. Um, but we all grow up in different ways. We all have different experiences around what a mother is, what a father is. And they, that helps us to shape how we view situations. She was such a sweetheart in that she would explain things to me and helped coach me even with my own relationship. At the time, I was uh, with my partner. We had been together oh, since early 2009. So at this point, it was like a little over a year. And I'm a very loyal, committed person. I didn't see any other way out of the relationship or anything like that. It was just, this is my partner. We're living kind of distant right now while I'm doing the school thing, but he was supportive of it. And uh, she'd help coach me on all kinds of things and encourage me, and um, I'd encourage her back. We became friends, and she graduated the next year, and we got to, uh, I surprised my partner. He loved to travel. I didn't have a lot of money, but I saved up. And I asked her if we could come visit her when she got her first professor job out in Boston. Because I had never been there before, and I thought, how neat. You know, we could stay with her, visit the area, see how her school is and whatnot, and learn more about uh, her family and whatnot. And she was kind of like a motherly, like big sister kind of figure. For me, I covered some of her classes before she got her professorship while she was uh, traveling to different universities to uh, interview and to see if she liked the campus and to see if she liked the offer and whatnot. And I remember her talking about her family coming to visit her and they would stay. They would just stay for a month. They don't ask. That's what, that's what their, their culture would do. You spend time with your family because if you don't get to see them for a long, long time and you're in another country, they're going to stay a long time to uh, spend quality time with you and whatnot. And I thought it was the neatest thing, but she um, had her own opinions about her mom <laughs> staying with her for a month. I think when you become an adult, it's a little bit different. You might want to Airbnb it so you can, you know, be more selective with your with your time and whatnot. But... Uh, that was a really neat experience. Um, she encouraged me to dream bigger about how I viewed education. Um, I remember she took me to the movies one night. said, come on, let's go have some fun. Because I'm such a workaholic and everybody could see that. That I was like, to me, I learned to work hard at a young age from... I think both parents, but mostly like looking up to my dad and that he worked so hard. So we went to see um, see this Disney or Pixar movie, and uh, I remember it was Rapunzel, I think it was, she had, but it was called something else. She had the long, long hair, and it was like the cutest little innocent thing. Here we are in graduate school, and we're watching this kid's movie, but it was like fun girl time and whatnot, and... Uh, I got to tell her about my friend in my undergrad and how she was American-born Chinese and how different her personality is, I think, because she was born in the U.S., but had some of those, some of those uh, strict uh, parts from her family culture, right, because her parents were first 
born uh, in China and Taiwan and whatnot. And it helped to form a sense of trust from our backgrounds being different, me being a Caucasian woman and us being focused on education. We desired to help make the world a better place. And um, I got to hear a little bit about her research in our studies and how she was focused on helping uh, Chinese people, especially women, because culturally they're not encouraged to exercise. Uh, they're encouraged to dress cute, wear high, fancy clothing, high heels, like to dress in certain areas of their culture. Um, so they're not dressed appropriately to move around easily. And so she was trying to change that within the dynamics of the campus. Um, they had a lot of international students from China and other areas of the world that were being educated there. And her one of her focuses, her purpose, was to help encourage them to start moving more uh, because of the many benefits that movement has on on our health and whatnot. And that was a really, really neat experience. Now, we weren't biologically connected, as far as I know, in our bloodline. Um, but she was definitely like a motherly figure to me, like a big sister kind of figure. And yeah, that was a really neat experience. The head of our department, well, we had like two that were kind of, they seemed equal. I'm not sure who was who was top, but um, one of them was uh, a man from the U.S., and the other, my advisor, her advisor was, uh, he, he had uh, huge connections and passions to um, Asia, and so they, they had a lot of uh, quality connections, so he would allow for more international students, and uh, the woman that was the, the other head of our department for uh, sports psychology, uh, she was from Australia, so... And she was a little bit more uh, laid back about things and desired things to be fun. <laughs> and uh, so I got to be advised from her. And it was fun because um, I don't think she had any children, but she was definitely that motherly kind of personality to make sure that... Uh, we were keeping our ethics and morals uh, when we were doing conducting our programs or theses that we were doing things honorably. And she had asked me at one point when I was creating my, my Project Asthma program, which is like kind of like a musical. It was geared towards fifth grade classrooms, music rooms, and PE rooms, but uh, they said the materials was a little bit more challenging, should have been middle school, junior high level for the dance and high school level for the music, which was a nice surprise considering I didn't have any professional training other than my high school music program and just putting a lot of hours of personal self-study and reflection in it. She would ask regularly, how much of the materials in your program is duplicated and how much of it is original? And I said, that's a fair question. I said, what I've done for a lot of it, um, the music is 100% my own creation. So the, the music portion is 100% brand new. I'm educating through the reading materials because that's how I learn. 
I've turned the, the learning, the knowledge of the content into music that I can educate then through the musical portion and the dance, when you add the movement to it, you can use the cue words to signal the, the choreography just like you would in a step aerobics or a dance instruction class and her eyes lit up like, oh, I like this, this is great. Could you teach this? Is this duplicatable? And at the time, my partner and I had just switched to 50-50 uh, parenting. And uh, I should say he made that decision, but we talked about it. It was something that he decided to do to save money. And I was either on board with it and we were going to stay get, stay together. Or if I wasn't on board with it, then we would not still be together. So I didn't see an option to not be with him because I loved his kids. So we changed our parenting plan. So my second year in graduate school, I then became a motherly figure to teenage girls. <laughs> didn't, didn't plan on that, didn't expect it, uh, but the economy, it was right around uh, 2000, I went to graduate school 2010 to 12, so the summer between uh, my first year and my second year was when we changed our parenting plan, and I had a discussion, it was right before the summer break, had a discussion with Ann, my boss at the university, and I said, hey, uh, we've got this dynamic in the household changing, is there any way you can change my classes that I'm teaching, because at that time I was teaching four PAT courses, physical activity courses, and they were giving me a tuition reimbursement. And I had to keep my grades a certain level and whatnot, and they paid me a monthly stipend to be a graduate teaching assistant. And I said, we've got this uh, dynamic in the household. Um, I know he's going to need some help. And I also miss being around my family. Is there any way that we can shift my classes over so that I'm teaching all four classes on Mondays and Wednesdays instead of spreading them out four days a week? And so then I'll travel up to Washington State half the week and uh, on Wednesdays after my last class. And then on Sundays travel back down from Washington to Oregon. She was like, Aaron, this is kind of nuts. Are you sure that that's going to be a lot of driving, a lot of distance? Is that safe for you on the road? <clears throat> but I wasn't thinking about the safety factor of me. I was thinking about uh, the time change of the family dynamics, and I stepped into my calling of being a mother. Yes, I was a quote-unquote stepmom, not legally yet, because we were cohabitating, not married. But that's what I decided to do. My partner was also missing me a lot. He wouldn't say it out loud, and if you asked him today, he'd probably deny it, because things didn't end well for us, which is okay. However, when my advisor asked me if the program was duplicatable, if I could teach it 
to kids if kids would be able to learn it. I was reading the materials from my second year. I, I stayed and my office mate was a man. I can't remember his name, but he had loaned me Alfred Bandura's book on self-efficacy. And I read through the whole, it was a huge book, like 500 pages, maybe more. And I read through it and it said, in order for things to be duplicatable, to model, to role model, to take action, for, for people to believe that they can take action on something, there has to be similarities the audience that's trying to duplicate it from their role model has to be close enough in age for them to believe that they can duplicate the behavior so I thought if this was for for fifth graders and I'm 20 something years old that the age difference would be too great so I thought what if I had teenagers duplicate it, learn it, and teach it. So I asked his daughters if they would be interested in being a part of my program. And what I didn't realize was that, because I had just been diagnosed with asthma, all three of us had asthma. So the program was not only taught by asthmatics, but it was taught by a middle schooler, a high school student, and a graduate college student, all females. And then, so we created this, this video. They agreed. Their, their father was on board with it, encouraged them to help, and he did the videography for it. Um, my brother did the music production for it. It was a family project. And uh, we didn't have a lot of time for me to teach the materials to them, so it wasn't perfect. Uh, but I learned a lot about how to facilitate uh, because we had to coordinate it because they were at the house every other week. So we had to coordinate it when they were there. Uh, I had to learn to teach it quickly to them, help them be respectful of one another because uh, his eldest was a cheerleader and so she had transferable skills from uh, cheer, dance, um, those kinds of things, step aerobics, like uh, transferable skills. Um, his youngest didn't have as much of those experiences and also wasn't extremely interested in spending that much time with older sisters. So that was an interesting, fun dynamic. Uh, but it helped to empower me because of the amount of time I was investing within the family, going to their concerts, track meets, uh, football games, all the things that they were doing. Uh, when, whenever they asked me to and I was there, I, was, I made a decision to be invested in the family. I don't regret any of any of that participation because it taught me that I am a good mother. Wasn't perfect, but I stepped in to help spend quality time and help out when my partner decided to split the parenting plan because I thought it was a great idea for him to spend more time with his kids. Not the intention behind it of which to save money, uh, but that's between him and his maker. Uh, the value of mothering, whether you're a stepmom, whether you are a birth mother, whether you are an every other weekend mom because 
maybe you've had some situations where the father of the kids has parental rights. And there is value for what you bring to the table. Unfortunately, in society, it's not really financially paid. <clears throat> but how many of us pay for daycare? either have paid for or have been daycare workers or nannies. In 2020, I was stuck in a state unplanned, but I made the best of it. So I started applying for jobs, only applying for jobs with limited interaction with humans because the woman that had allowed me to stay with her, who was a mother... She had type 2 diabetes and she was elderly and I didn't want her to get infected with all of the news that we were reading. A lot of it left-winged because of the people that I was spending my time with um, were pouring fear into me and I wanted to make sure I wasn't infecting her. So I applied, um, I believe it was on LinkedIn, it might have been Indeed. I can't recall. It was one, I was applying on both of those platforms. And I worked for an extremely rich family. I was hired because they loved my social media content for Move Happy. They interviewed my boss at the psych hospital. They actually called her to verify that I was there. That I created this program and she said whatever she said on the phone. And I remember her messaging me and saying, great to hear from you. Um, the, the organization called me. I verified I told them everything um, and we miss you. So glad to hear you're doing well. Um, I was paid the equivalent of a teacher with like 12 years experience and a master's degree that would teach 30 kids in a classroom. But I only worked with one kid. So I was blessed. They didn't give me any medical benefits. Um, and they hired me as a 1099, which was illegal. But I was grateful during the pandemic when many people were losing their jobs left and right that I had a pretty easy job. I mean, a couple hours a day, we were outside. I would drive him to, uh, they, wanted, they wanted the instructors to come to the house, but uh, a lot of it was challenging for, for organizations, businesses to do that. So some of the appointments were out of the house, some of it was in. I took him to his mother's house or his grandparents' house. Um, helped to coach him. Um, I saw some paperwork one day. They were asking me to <clears throat> do other things because the hours that they had promised me did not come to fruition. So I started adding value in other areas. Started helping the housekeeper and uh, their private chef with different errands and things to fill the time slot because I wanted to keep my income at a certain amount and they uh the paperwork I saw they were looking into hiring a therapist for their child and they were also looking to hire a nanny and I saw the pay rate range that they were willing to pay um, they hired me they selected me because they were looking for a therapist for their child and they were looking for a nanny for their child. So I became the educational coach and they hired me because they got two in one. I'm not a licensed therapist, 
but they were impressed enough with my content. They reviewed online and they interviewed my previous boss where I worked in a psychiatric hospital where this whole thing started. Much of that, I yes, I put work in, but much of the skills that I learned how to be quote-unquote motherly were from my mom because she sacrificed her income to raise us, to private school teach us, to raise our standards in a district that was kind of sucky because a lot of parents were struggling and had you know, they trusted the best that they could that the schools would do the best that they could to educate their kids. But high crime area uh, usually doesn't have the greatest academics because you're not just dealing with education. You're also, as a teacher, being a social worker and counselor and all kinds of things. So mom sacrificed the first 10, 11 years of our childhood to make sure that we were emotionally sound, brought us to church, connected us with family members, took us to doctor's appointments, was that reliable, consistent parent. And not all families are blessed to have two parents in the household. Maybe maybe one of the parents died unexpectedly. Um, I'm so incredibly grateful for the household that I grew up in. And yes, of course, it could always be better. But we could also be better, too. You can't change the past. So you might as well appreciate what it was and what it taught you so that you can move forward. Now, mom encouraged me at a very young age to get into taking care of children to help empower me. My parents were on board with um, helping empower their children to earn their wages so that we stopped asking them for handouts. Imagine that. I didn't ask for much handouts because when I started learning how to earn my own money, I felt empowered as a citizen. I was a young citizen, but I was babysitting probably around, oh, maybe 12, 13 years old, whatever the legal age is for babysitting. And my first experience was with a parent. She stayed at home to help train me. It was one of my mom's choir friends from, I think, Life Center. And she had a a little year and a half. I think it was like 18 months old. And I remember she helped to encourage me to cook a voila chicken dinner for her child and to spoon feed him in the chair and to sing him to sleep and to use the desitin cream to help uh, clean him up when changing the diaper and um, was going to pay for me to get certified in CPR for infants. And there's a special babysitting um, certification training that you can get and things like that. Um, And then I started my own little business as a babysitter, shaping me into a motherly figure and, you know, future um, potential parent, whatnot. Um, I don't have any children right now. Yes, I was a step-parent for six years. 
I made it through the teenage years with somebody else's kid. And I've also helped through my own mother, her connections through her church, choir, Bible study groups. Uh, They had a connection where we were close by uh, Fort Lewis and... McCord Air Force Base. They've since joined to, they're called JBLM now. But at that time, we had really good friends that were at the Air Force Base. Big Joe was the father, and Vanessa, his wife, and little Joe, and Kendra. We would go and spend time with them. When we were younger, they were a part of the Bible study group, and one of, I believe, one of Vanessa's friends connected had a need for a babysitter for her kids that were a little bit older. And she just wanted to make sure, because she was a parent that was getting back into the workforce, she wanted to make sure that her kids had someone there, an adult that they could talk to, um, be a mentor for. Um, Her older son, and I don't remember the the kids' names, uh, he didn't really need a babysitter. He was to the point where he was like playing video games and super independent. Uh, But she was wanting to, as a protective mother should be, she was wanting to make sure that they had someone there, an adult that was awake. Her husband was actually there at the house when I would watch the kids, but he worked the night shift. And so he was sleeping during the day. And so we had to get creative with things, activities that we would do um, and not be too loud to make sure that their father's sleep wasn't interrupted. And sometimes they would come over to my parents' house and whatnot. Um, those are things that I learned because my mom went to work with having conversations with her friends to help me earn money to teach me life skills of being a parent or being a mentor and getting paid for it. Uh, She didn't get paid for what she did. She didn't ask for (laughs) a percentage cut, right? Uh, That's what moms do. And I imagine if you grew up in a household with a good mom, that you probably have some memories of that as well. Encourage you to thank your parents if they're still alive. Thank your mom for what she's done for you, for what she's done for your kids if she's a grandparent now and has that honor. That was something that I dreamed about. I saw the relationship that my mom had with my dad's mom. It was such a beautiful relationship. It was something that I aspired for. And when my partner and I at the time, uh, before we got married, we lived next to his parents during this 50-50 parenting time for two years. And his mom wasn't like that at all. All she saw was the differences between us. She didn't have the capacity for love, although she was heavily involved in her church. For whatever reason, their family focused on money and on keeping their money and not helping other people. She would volunteer and left the house often, but I think she was so stressed because she was the caretaker of her husband that she was just miserable. Like Her own family didn't want to spend time with her. But you better believe she loved her grandchildren. And that was something that I learned a lot. I learned how to focus on what I could learn out of this relationship. I wasn't going to ever experience what my mom had with her mother-in-law. I learned to accept that. 
And I asked myself, what can I add value to this family with? And so she helped me step up my game. We lived out in the country and the economy was terrible. So we were trying to save money left and right. And we would substitute or I would substitute and we'd stay sometimes at my folks' house to save on gas because it was an hour and a half each way to get to the school district um, the year after I graduated that I had five part-time jobs. So on Mondays, sometimes we would carpool, uh, but that didn't work out too long. Uh, But grocery shopping once a week, I started raising the standard of myself to help uh, contribute and cook a meal like what she was doing in her household because you can learn from other people and their behaviors. Um, I would start batch cooking because it was easier because it would save time so that I could contribute in other areas. Uh, You can learn from people, even those that you don't maybe fully agree on, even those that give you attitude or disrespect you. We can learn from people in society that we might not want to spend all our time with, but we can still learn from them. They still can contribute. I learned from them a lot. I learned that uh, the memory of an elderly person is fragile because uh, she would say comments to me that she would <laughs> she would get five jobs if she needed to to make sure that her family was taken care of financially. And so I did. I went and got five part-time jobs. And she said she would never hand her kids over to a daycare provider. She would raise her kids. And then her, her son, whom I was dating at the time, said, I don't know what she's talking about. She handed me over to a daycare service, and I had a nanny growing up so she could teach in the schools. Her memory was fragile. And she wanted to remember what she wanted to remember. But I never vocalized disrespect to her because I had that level of respect of elderly people. And I desired, I had all these positive memories of my mom with my father's mom. And I desired to have a relationship like that. So I couldn't change how she was behaving, but I could choose to be kind regardless. So I kept my mouth shut pretty much the whole two years until finally it hit to a head one day. And I walked over to her house because my partner at the time, he was used to with his ex-wife that he had the kids with, he was used to dealing with all the drama and he would be the go-between. And I was like, I'm so sorry, but I don't do that. I don't let people speak for me. I speak for myself. So I went over there and I was like, I honestly, like, can we talk? Like, I'm really not sure what all of these problems are that you have, these issues that you have with me, but I love your son. I'm trying my best to be a good partner. Your son doesn't want to marry me. So that's the only reason why we're living together, not married, because he doesn't want to ever be married again. I love your son and I'm doing the best that I can to be a good quote unquote stepmom to your grandchildren. If they're saying things 
let's all sit down and have a conversation. But I'd like to get to know you better. I'd like to build a relationship with you if possible. But I will not be disrespected any further. I went and got five jobs like you said you would do if you were in my shoes. And you're still complaining about me. What's the issue? And she finally opened up and said, Well, I just don't see anything that we have anything in common. Our age difference is just so great. And I said, yeah, our age difference is so great. And it is difficult to see things in common if you choose to look for things that are not in common. But uh, you can't ignore the fact that I love your son and I'm here and I'm invested. I'm not going anywhere. And at that moment, she started to shift her behavior. And it wasn't perfect, but it was something that it taught me when you raise your standards, and I've, I've been listening to Oprah Winfrey a lot in the last few days, when you raise your standards and you speak them aloud, people will act accordingly. They'll either leave you, your circle, and won't bother you anymore, or they will shift their behavior. And I've heard Tony Robbins speak of it as well. I had to learn to speak up for myself because no one is going to speak for you in the way that you desire to be spoken to and acted towards. No one is going to do it better than you speaking for yourself. I had to learn to start raising my standards of how I would be treated by this other motherly figure while also doing it tactfully to not disrespect her as a woman but to have conversations. I found out during that time when she and I had a heart-to-heart that the youngest child that wasn't communicating was telling lies. <laughs> had her perspective had her experiences, was extremely defiant, and was struggling in the house that we were all living in together because that was the house that they grew up in with their mom. And it went back to the bad decision that I had advised my partner at the time for us not to live there. I was sobbing. That was the second home he forced me into. The first home, it was a mile away from where I was raped. Sobbing. He never made decisions for us. He never made decisions for anyone but himself. And that became another kind of feather in the hat for these are things that are building up. Letting me know that you don't really respect me as a woman, as a motherly figure for your children. And I wasn't planning on going anywhere because I was invested and loyal in the relationship. Uh, But when we did decide to start discussing raising my value in getting married, um, it came to a head when there was a suicide in the family. My eldest stepdaughter, um, her boyfriend, they had broken up. He wanted to get back with her, get together again. She had learned to raise her standards. We were all starting to, I was going to a Bible study group, um, staying at my friend's house that I've known since we were like in diapers um, in Olympia, Washington. I'd stay the night. I'd help her volunteer with her WANA group. And then we had a, like a college age adult, young adult uh, Bible study group 
that we were all um, young men and women uh, a part of. I would stay the night at her house, and then I would substitute in the area if I could get a job the next morning. And if I couldn't, then I had a job that I was working at a chiropractor's office. That was one of my five jobs. And so I started spending time less at the house because I was stepping up financially to help support the household like my quote-unquote mother-in-law had encouraged me to do in front of her son. And he had also encouraged me to do by asking me to pay for certain bills and things like that. And I started doing it so I wasn't there as often and... His daughter wasn't there as often as well, and we were all working really hard, trying our best to keep the family afloat, and one day I came home, and he calls me, and he says, her boyfriend, his body was found. I need you to go and talk to her before she finds out on social media. I'm 20-something years old, and I have to talk to his teenage daughter, who at the time, I think she was a junior in high school, junior or senior. I don't want to talk to her. I don't want to be the one to tell her the news. What? Well, I'm not going to get there for another 90 minutes. I need you to have that conversation with her, okay? All right. So I stepped up and I did because we didn't want her to find out online. We wanted her to find out first to be able to grieve with an adult. Even though I didn't know what to say, I prayed and I asked the Creator to give me the words to speak, to be a comfort source for her in that moment. Because they had met, I want to say, a couple weeks before for coffee. And he had tried to get back with her. And she told him no. I don't know how that conversation went. That's between her and her maker. But he had written a note and he blamed her in the end. So I told her. I talked with her. She cried. I cried. And from that moment forward, we started being more unified as a family unit um, with her mom and her stepfather and her sister. We started attending church. We started praying as a family. Uh, My now ex-husband, her father, said that he had recommitted his life to Christ Things were moving in what I thought was a solid direction towards him stepping up to be the man that I desired him to be. And I was stepping into a a greater motherly figure that I believe he desired for me to be as well. And then we decided as a couple to separate for six months and make sure that we were going to move forward in life together permanently. Uh, When you have suicide in your family, when it hits that close, it rocks the boat. It makes you question life 
and I was working so incredibly hard and not having good sleep. Um, I was incredibly fit, though. I ran the fastest half marathon for myself on record. I beat my previous record in the same race by 30 minutes. I was driven to help others and driven to focus on staying healthy in the areas that I had learned over time to cope with and whatnot. Um, I got into yoga. I had been admitted into this program out of Boston uh, from this yoga magazine. I applied and was awarded a scholarship, but it wasn't a full scholarship. It was like two-thirds of it covered uh, where I would go for two months and be like tech-free, be a part of this program that was like the number one program for training yoga instructors in the United States of America. And they admitted me into their program, but I didn't have the rest of the money to come up with because I didn't want to ask him for money because we weren't married yet. So I turned it down. Uh, My master's project, uh, around that time, maybe a year before, I had been invited to a multi-state regional conference to present my own creation to PE teachers, to dance instructors, to rec therapists, um, everyone that was in that organization, AFERD, it's now called uh, Shape America. Uh, But the economy was so terrible that the offering wasn't good. They offered for me to pay my own way to present my own materials that I spent a year on to teach teachers and all of these people and to pay their (laughs) membership fees. And I was broke because I had this guaranteed teaching job that I had been laid off of. Even though I committed to myself to get my master's degree, they had given me permission to leave the school district for school reasons. The economy was so bad that it still was bad. When I came back, they had laid me off and I couldn't afford to present my own materials at a conference, a multi-state conference. I was the only person on the whole roster that was going to teach dance, teach my own creation called Be Your Own, song and dance, choreographed. So I had to politely decline the offer because I couldn't afford to travel to Montana for it. Couldn't afford to pay the membership fees. When someone asked me in front of my partner at the time, they said, well, why did you turn it down? I said, I couldn't afford it. And he said, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, because we never talked about money. I assumed I had learned from a young age to be financially independent because my parents had encouraged me to work for my own. Until getting married and then I assumed that my partner would take over any financial responsibilities because that's how my dad took care of my mom. We learn a lot of our behaviors and expectations of others through our, through our parental upbringings. We can always change our view on the world and whatnot, uh, but he and I weren't married, so I didn't ask him for help because I didn't think that he needed to help me until we made that decision to get married. Even though I stepped in, sacrificed Uh, my career, adjusting my schedule at the university to make sure that I could help the family if needed because I knew he couldn't even grocery shop without my help. (laughs) He needed some help if he was going to change his parenting plan to 50%. I stepped up as a motherly figure, even though he didn't ask me to. And I don't regret any of the decisions that I made in my past because I learned a lot about myself 
And if the creator desires for my husband and I to be reunited this year, my hero of 2020. I believe he will always make sure that I am financially taken care of, that I am spiritually taken care of. And when he passes on in this life, that he will make sure that another man takes the place that will keep me safe, protected, respected, and encourage me to continue creating programs to help society, to help my nation, but to help the world as a whole through the mental health uh, programs that I design and create and the music that I create. When you take full ownership of all the decisions that you make, And all of the events in your life, when you take full ownership, 100% responsibility for your life, that is when things start to shift in your life for the better. That's what I keep hearing from thought leaders. So I know that although I have been getting digitally attacked for two years, through government contractors that have been paid to do dirty work, that it will all pay off in the end, that the Creator will use all of it, the dark and the light, for His greater glory. I've been able to do a lot of incredible things as a motherly figure in society, as a teacher in the school district. My first year teaching, we had a suicide at the high school, and it was a little country school. It was my first year. I was like 22, 23 years old. I had to learn quickly in the moment how to talk to middle schoolers about this teenager that was a star athlete that had a bad, I think, a bad breakup. And he couldn't see a life worth living without the person that he was with. Might have been drugs and alcohol related. I didn't know the full story. But I had to step in as a leader and comfort and counsel young, impressionable years. Because I was there. You step in when you're called. You either step in or you step out and disappear. And I was called to help these kids. The only reason why I was there teaching is because it was middle school math, three classes and two PE classes because it was an emergency situation. And their teacher had cancer three times. It was their third bout with cancer. They were 32 years old and they had missed over half the school year and they said the kids needed someone to just show up and be consistent. We've got a lot of jobs right now where all they need is just someone to just show up and be consistent because there is so much turnover. This is probably the highest turnover in the world in our history. Just showing up. But I don't have the personality to just show up and give half-ass work. I came from parents that had high standards. So if I show up, I'm going to give my best and I'm going to encourage my colleagues to give their best as well. That's why some people don't like me because they say, you work too hard. You're making us look bad. Well, tough luck. Maybe you should find another place that will allow you to be lazy. Motherly figures 
get work done, get a lot of work done, are efficient and effective with their time because we have been socially programmed that we need to multitask. I'm not a good multitasker, but I have learned how to be effective with a variety of things and how to delegate because of a variety of learning experiences, both paid and unpaid. Now, I'm incredibly grateful for the women in my upbringing, my mother, grandmother, family friends, my mom's best friend that passed away shortly after my father died. The value of mothers in society needs to be respected more. There are some countries that will actually allow you a year off of work to raise your child because they value the first early years. They will give you a lot more time off to spend with your family. The United States is known in the world as one of the most hardest working nations. Overworked and not as productive. Depression is the most, depression and anxiety are the most expensive conditions in the world, in the workplace, that are the least financially supported. They estimated prior to the shutdown in 2020, in I think it was May of 2019, they estimated that $1 trillion in lost productivity was occurring because there are not proper systems in place. Sure, there are EAP programs that companies pay for and hope that are good for their, their employees. But who is connecting them and encouraging them to call the EAP? Um, and in fact, at my previous employer, um, I actually did reach out to the EAP and there was 10 providers that I called. Most of them didn't answer the phone. They either died, didn't work at that facility anymore there was only one person that called me back out of all 10 providers and didn't call me, called from a private number, blocked number, left a voicemail. We played phone tag back and forth, wanted me to send my private medical information through an unsecured email address. So I didn't feel comfortable because of all of the cyber hacking I've experienced and I know that it's not secure. Um, she called and left me a voicemail back stating that it was it was secure and all of this and that, but she doesn't know the the professional cybersecurity scan I had from a top-level leader that was one of the OGs of cybersecurity for Apple and Microsoft. Her level of experience is not to my level of, of expertise and need, so I turned it down. I've been dealing with being separated, forced to separate from my husband this year because of all the illegal activities of this paid contracted organization that should have been defunded years ago. But it's still getting paid through back channels. I've had to teach and empower myself how to be mentally sound, how to get plugged in to friends, how to volunteer regularly and consistently to contribute to get my mind off my pain during this pandemic. I've had to make, move eight times this year alone. Only one of those times was my choice to get married. Forced to separate from my husband. But I don't regret any of it because it's all going to be used. 
It's all going to be used by the creator to make a greater, more powerful story. And I don't have all the details yet. I, I have been given the gift of vision. But the creator reveals to me what the creator reveals, bits and pieces, in the perfect timing. I will say that there are many families that are being forced to separate. And if we started valuing mothers in society more and started listening to the mothers in our societies, asking them, how do you feel our nation is doing? How do you feel our country is doing? Whether you're in the U.S. or another country, during this pandemic, checking in with the mothers. How are your kids doing? How are you doing? How are your grandchildren doing? I imagine they would give you a better perspective than any psychological test or any content or data you could steal or capture from social media if you actually sat down and had conversations with these people. And that's something that I'm grateful. A Caucasian man that is in a leadership position is allowing me to progress forward with, to be able to have safe, healthy conversations with people in real life that have real struggles to help them find more happiness from within. It's not a done deal yet because big projects take time to get approved. But I'm grateful that I offered something for free, a service to my community because I honestly care about human beings and I have been called to do this thing. I have sacrificed a lot of my time with my own family by choice because the Creator called me to do this. And when I offered to do it on my day off for free in exchange for the data because there is a lot of white paper research on positive psychology but there isn't one yet, and the Creator put this on my heart to do. And I have been gifted. People have been sending me people. And that is what happens when you get your alignment right with your calling. A retired chief of the military sent me an Ivy League professor's contact that was in perfect alignment with the purpose of one of my therapies this year that I developed. I've had other Ivy League professionals that have been following my content, reached out to me, have been sent to me, and also not Ivy League university professionals because there are plenty of academic professionals, business professionals, etc., etc., that don't have the branding, quote-unquote. I didn't go to an Ivy League university for graduate school, but you better believe I will always say good things about Oregon State University because they paid me to study. They gave me an exchange. They gave me an opportunity as a young, aspiring teacher to give of my value, create my own lessons, teach step aerobics that I taught myself in front of my students, they allowed me the opportunity to fail, to improve, to make mistakes, and to study in exchange and paid me on a monthly status 
They were not an Ivy League university, but I got to learn from one of the head people of the American Psychological Association that has been featured in textbooks because she was my advisor, Dr. Vicki Ebig from Australia. I'm so incredibly grateful for the opportunities that many women in society, many motherly figures, whether they have children or not, doesn't matter. When women are given opportunities for leadership positions, they start shifting communities for the better. Not all women, so you have to be on guard. There are some women that are focused about themselves, but many women desire to help communities, families, sensitive populations. That is why in California, they actually made it a new standard as of, I want to say 2021, that 50% of your board for any organization has to be women. Minority women as well. They have very specific rules and regulations. They are the leader in uh, the space for helping to, to get laws changed. I don't think that women in society should lead everything. I think there is a, a, a purpose and a place. But I believe the creator of the universe has gotten tired of men in their power trips taking advantage of minorities taking advantage of women taking advantage of people that are trying to do good things in society. I am incredibly grateful, although my relationship didn't work out with my first husband. Um, he had a value to learn because he was adopted about his biological father because his father decided to reach out to him. He had a closed adoption, wasn't supposed to be able to have access to any of the files, but he paid a lot of money to find his son and built that relationship over time, and he had remarried the head of Slavic languages for, I would consider it an Ivy League university, and I got to learn from her a professor that had um, gained her citizenship here in the States from Russia, an incredibly powerful woman. No one disrespected her because she knew her value in society. She was paid to speak in China. They got to fly over there, and she spoke to thousands of people at a conference. And I got to spend lots of weekends down with her and her husband and their connections and their musical friends and we got to go see the Russian ballet one time and I got to learn how to treat a husband because I got to see how she treated her husband and see how she still was an academic professional and worked and how she had a different behavior at home versus being responsible for students and she would do a trip every couple of years to educate uh, the students that wanted to learn that language overseas. I got to be a part of one of her lectures and sit in with the students as a quote-unquote pretend musical artist, and they practiced their languages of having conversations about translating what it was that I was saying in the class. It was such a neat experience. And these are what a lot of the people in society right now with the news propaganda are 
trying to paint a negative picture through the narrative, through whatever financial parties are funding their story. They're just human beings. They are good and they're bad and there is light and there is darkness within all cultures, within all human beings. It takes us light workers, it takes us extra effort, extra work to make sure that we associate with other light workers. And if there are people that are on the fence, which 80% of society is a uh, follower, it takes us top 10% to work extra hard to get them interested in wanting to join us in doing good. And I'm so incredibly grateful for the motherly figures, especially his uh, biological father's wife. I don't know what she would be to him because he was an adult when he reconnected with his father. Uh, the value of those weekends, those times where we would travel and visit and spend time with them, priceless, absolutely priceless. There might be someone in your life that is a motherly figure that's struggling right now. They might not say it to you because they're always constantly thinking of others, whether it's children or community members, family members. Society has put this pressure on them to not think about themselves. You might want to check in on them and see how they're doing. Send them a card with a random spa day certificate to go get a facial. The value that they have on society, on helping educate and empower young children, not just girls, young children as a whole, is priceless. I can't wait for this, this fun little contest that's, I say fun, quote-unquote, sarcastically, because I've been getting digitally hacked for two years because someone entered me. They created this new position in All Nations, and they haven't announced it yet, but I imagine they're frustrated that I am sharing about it because the person that tried to take me out of this world was initially wanting to be on my team, and told me that I was in the nomination for a global mental health ambassador for the United States. And every nation that's, you know, westernized or, you know, has the, the money, the means, will have their own ambassadors. And I imagine we will all meet together, maybe on an annual basis, to come up with ideas of how we can empower people that are mentally ill to be citizens, to be better citizens, and to also protect them because they are a vulnerable population. I already am claiming that I am one of the winners because I've already seen it happen in my gift of vision. And I have suggested on one of my last posts that I made before the creator told me to have a silent season 
uh, that there should be three people for this position for each country, one for psychology, one for recreation, and one for medical, to have three alternative perspectives. Um, that's how our hospital was run when I worked in the psychiatric hospital. We had our medical model, which funded the uh, hospital, <clears throat> which was nurses, uh, doctors, psychiatrists that prescribed the medication, whatnot. Uh, we had the psychology department that was more of the like one-on-one -on -one therapies, whatnot. Um, and then we had, we did have social workers and whatnot, but those were the three main that were in charge. And then recreation was getting their personal interests involved, whether they were artists that liked to make clay pots or draw or paint, uh, whether they were musically inclined, uh, whether they liked working out or walking in nature, things like that. Um, it was run by those three organizations, and I believe when they decide on the winners of this ambassadorship that it should be three ambassadors. So you could be a global mental health ambassador for the medical part. You could be a global mental health ambassador for the recreation and one for the psychology um, I believe that that's how it should be decided upon. And when that decision has been finalized and they announce it, it will all have been worth it uh, because it will validate the calling that the Creator has put on my heart, on my spirit, all of the work that I have invested in it and the sacrifices that I have made, not being able to spend time, as much time with my family because... This calling is greater than when the creator of the universe puts a calling on your heart. You have to make a decision. You might not be spending as much time with your family. You might not be spending as much time watching your Netflix shows. But at what cost? What are you losing? If What are you gaining if you're losing something, right? Um, I believe society as a whole, if we can help empower people with depression to find happiness from within, if I could help be one of those leaders that has, uh, that's helping to shift that, to help more people stop ending their lives prematurely by self-infliction, I would be honored to have that as my calling, and I know that it is, because the Creator told me in 2018, before I even got on any social media outside of the OG Facebook. A lot has shifted in my favor in a, in a short amount of time, and that's what all of these thought leaders keep saying. If you lean into your calling, it won't take decades for change to take place because the Creator will use what you have, just like the old... Uh, I want to say fable, the old story of Jesus taking the loaves of fish and the bread and multiplying it for the thousands and thousands. The Creator will use what you have and multiply it if you're in alignment with what you've been created and called to do. 
So I encourage you to ask yourself and ask your deity, what is it that you have called me to do? How should I spend my time today? And listen. And lean in on those areas that you get more energy in, that bring you more joy, where you lose track of time. Maybe just 10 minutes a day, if you're feeling blue, if you're feeling sad. Because feelings will come and go. If you can incorporate behaviors, decisions on a daily basis, it can help establish a new protocol for your lifestyle. Where you can literally build your own mental well-being through things in society that might not yet have measurable data on them to help bring you healing, but will soon enough. I've already got 16 alternative therapies that I've developed, five of which were the 12 months that I worked at that psychiatric hospital, one of which my first one that I released was Project Asthma, my graduate school program that I was invited to present at a multi-state conference. When you lean into your calling, the creator of the universe will be able to multiply it. Thank you so much for listening today to the Move Happy Movement podcast and today's topic on mothers and the value of mothers. We hope that you learned something today. We hope that we added value to you. It would mean the world to us if you would take a screenshot of the part that most stood out to you, write a couple of sentences and share it on social media. Share it with a friend that you care about, maybe a, a new mom or a struggling grandma or whatnot. And let them know specifically what you appreciate about them, what they've taught you while they're still here on this earth. Uh, we are, uh, as a thank you to you for posting on social and whatnot, we're doing a listening room competition. Um, when the creator allows us to start posting on social again after the uh, Judas in our circle corrects the wrong for the thefts that he has allowed for two years and the hit he put on my life. Uh, we'll start posting again, but until then, uh, listening room competition, 10,000 downloads will be our first tiered invite. It's a fun little private exclusive concert experience, first release music, and uh, guest musicians perhaps will invite to help share with you because I'm a musician and I love, I love sharing stuff to help inspire you to find happiness from within, whether it's spiritual music. Um, or non-spiritual from a variety of genres and the creator has empowered me in the last two years and a couple of months with over 50 songs and I had not written a song prior to that in about uh, I want to say about seven seven or eight years and I've still been working a lot I've had to move a lot in the last two years I've had to change jobs a lot uh, because of ADA 
organizations not following ADA protocols, which is the American Disabilities Act, not modifying the workplace for me. And that's okay, because the creator has used it all to shift me into exactly where I'm supposed to be right now. And so I want to say thank you to those of you that have helped keep Move Happy going, even through all of the transitions in my quote-unquote day jobs that I have had to keep in order to continue paying bills and whatnot. So we'd love to share the the music with you. Um, You can access how many downloads we have 24-7 by going to themovehappy.podbean.com. That's T-H-E-M-O-V-E-H-A-P-P-Y dot P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com from a computer or laptop. Don't use it on a smartphone. It won't work for you. Um, But you can see where we're at with the downloads. Somehow, I have no idea how, but somehow we're ranked in the top 10% in the world on the Listen Notes website, which ranks all podcast shows in the world. Thanks to you. Thanks to you being a listener, either for the first time or one of the consistent ones that has been sharing it and writing comments, uh, positive comments and reviews and whatnot. Somehow there's a variety of factors that they use for the LS score, and I'm grateful for you. And so that's our way of saying thank you, is to honor you with some free access to myself uh, when we hit the 10,000 downloads. So to get our attention with that, just consistently be sharing and tag Move Happy um, on your favorite social media channels. And when the cell phone service provider starts providing the service that I have been paying for, uh, I will gain access again to social, but right now it's not working too good. And uh, when they fix the double bill and provide me a printed out bill that I've requested multiple times to be mailed to me and not request my location on an unsecured website, uh, then I'll be able to have access to see see where we're at if you've tagged us on social and respond and whatnot. Um, So thank you for your patience while we are continually staying resilient continually focused on empowering people to find happiness from within whether or not those in political powers are in alignment with it we will do as the creator has called us to do all right thanks so much don't forget to tell someone you love them today and we'll see you next time